allow the technology to work, Father, so that those who are out there may be reached with your message and be able to participate with them. We pray all this confidently because of Jesus. You hear us, Father, for his sake, and in his name we pray. Oh, okay. So, can you just show me this? Along with the message she just gave, two other things I've learned is that I inappropriately use this instead of for soup, for coffee. That might explain a few things. <laughs> and that if I uh, need to, I can always second as a microphone stand. I do that fairly well also. All right. For us this morning, I'd like us to think about the epistle lesson for today, that lesson from 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at the 19th verse. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen. As I do some premarital work, I usually like to remind the couple that uh, I don't have to tell them how to have a good time. They'll get that figured out on their own. What I do need to do is help them so that they know that when the trouble time comes, when the struggles come, how they might handle those things. We talk about various things. We talk about the four horsemen of the apocalypse, okay, which includes criticism, contempt, defensiveness, and stonewalling. When those things are going on, now those things might happen once in a while, but if those are a regular part of the relationship, there's some problems. Well, we also talk about calling. In Ephesians chapter 5, what we do is we, we talk about the role of the wife and the role of the husband. They each have their own individual callings. And I find sometimes that we like to read each other's mail. Hey, you're supposed to be doing this. Instead of me focusing on what I'm supposed to be doing, we're worried about what other people are doing. Doesn't that sound normal? That's kind of what happens even in the church. What's important is to remember our calling, what we're called upon by God to be and to do. And that's what I want to focus on today, our calling. And if, if you look at that First Peter 2 passage, let me quick go there. I'll go there a different place. If we look at it, it says in verse 21, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We are called to suffer well, even when we suffer unjustly. We are to endure this unjust suffering. And how do we do that? Well, we do that by following Jesus. How do we do that? By, by learning from him, finding his example and following it. So for us to do that, I have a little story I want to share with you today. I want to read it to you, and then I want to discuss it with you. So first, here's, it's not so much a story. It comes again from this book, A Grace Disguised. If you don't have this book, I encourage it. It's a, it's a really very helpful, good book written by Jerry Sitzer. And this this book is, again, I've shared various excerpts with you before. And from this book, what we have is a man who is working within a seminary, I believe it is. He's working with religious education. I know that for sure. His wife was a singer in the church. 
They had four or five kids. They homeschooled those kids, and they went to a place in Montana to an Indian reservation, a Native American reservation. And as they were leaving there one day, they were leaving to go back home, and and a drunk driver crossed the road and hit them. And his mother, who was with them, died instantly. His wife died instantly. And their daughter, one of their daughters, died instantly. Can you imagine losing a spouse, a mom, and a daughter at the same instance and now being called upon by God to continue to raise your other three children and to carry on? Now, if you think of unjust suffering, wouldn't that fit the bill? He writes this, If I want transformation, I must let go of my regrets over what could have been and pursue what can be. But what I cannot have is the best of both worlds, the growth that has transformed my life as a result of the tragedy and the people whose death engendered that growth. There is a bitter irony here that cannot be avoided. However much we grow through loss, The people whose death enabled me to change for the better are the very people with whom I would most like to share these changes. Their death has forced me to grow. I wish now that they could benefit from the growth that has resulted from their death. Many people are destroyed by loss because learning what they could have been but failed to be, they choose to wallow in guilt and regret, to become bitter in spirit, or to fall into despair. While nothing they can do will reverse the loss, it is not true that there is nothing they can do to change. The difference between despair and hope, bitterness and forgiveness, hatred and love, and stagnation and vitality lies in the decisions we make about what to do in the face of regrets over an unchangeable and painful past. We cannot change the situation, but we can allow the situation to change us. We exacerbate our suffering needlessly when we allow one loss to lead to another. That causes gradual destruction of the soul. Now, that's a really deep two paragraphs, and I just read it through so you had to hear it. So thanks be to God because of technology. We actually can show it to you on the screen, and I can break a few things apart for you, which is what we're going to do now. Now, first, what you just heard, if you just heard that from me and I just said that to you, you would probably appropriately just disregard it. Who is this guy? He's got a great family. He's got a great wife. He's got a great life. He's been healthy his whole life. Nothing's wrong with him. Who is he to speak about transformation in the middle of loss and suffering? He's not ever experienced any unjust suffering, and you'd be right to say that. But I'm not quoting myself when I read that. I'm quoting a man who knows what it's like to try and pick up the pieces from losing three people dear to him, probably the three closest people in his life. 
I'm reminded of a young lady at Concordia who said, just because I suffer, just because I have these massive level 10 pain, everyday headaches, doesn't give me the right to be mean to other people. She's more mature at 20 than I am at 53. I'm just amazed by that. Let's look at this. If I want transformation, now, Romans 12, which we'll look at in just a minute, says that we are to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, which is bitterness, anger, unforgiveness, all those things, right? If I want to be no longer conformed to that pattern, I want to be transformed. How? You guys are usually so good at this. By the renewing of my mind, which is tied into the word. All right, so let's look at this. If I want transformation, not to be conformed, but to be transformed, I must let go of my regrets over what could have been and pursue what can be. How many times don't you and I get stuck focusing on what could have been and wallowing in that, in the hurt of what could have been, what should have been, not only from loss, like losing someone we love, but also wallowing in or my regrets of what I haven't done in my life. Man, when I read this sentence before, convicted to the core of me, I haven't lost any great things. But I sure do like to live in regrets over what could have been if only I had been a better Christian. Next one. But what I cannot have is the best of both worlds, the growth that has transformed my life as a result of the tragedy and the people whose death engendered that growth. I can't have them both. How many of us through our struggles, how many of us through what goes on in our life learn and grow from it? Now, sometimes God has to do it like 12 times before we start to get it. Okay, that's happened in my life. But when we start to get it, isn't it great that God uses us and even those difficulties, but we can't go back? What I learned from what I've experienced, what I learned from God's faithfulness, what I learned from life, I can't go back and say, I'd like to, st- I would, how many of us have regrets from life? Don't we all have regrets? Wouldn't we all say, you know, I wish I hadn't done that? And yet, through that, God shows himself incredibly patient and faithful and loving, and it helps me to love him more. Have you ever looked at life that way? Renewing the way you look at it? I struggle with this. My wife can tell you I struggle with with looking at it differently. That's why I preach it, so I hear it first, and then I share it with you. How about we reframe things so we can see things differently? Next one. There's a bitter irony here that cannot be avoided however much we grow through loss. Have you ever thought about the scriptures? James chapter 1, Romans chapter 5, through our suffering, through our struggles, that's the very thing God uses to grow us. I've rarely met anyone who's had life go his way or her way all the time who grows much through that. When Pat and I were at Concordia um, University in Nebraska, there was a man, his name is Professor Russ Moulds, and he would work with the RAs, and he said, and I, tell me if I get this wrong, but he would say, you want problems. 
You can imagine all the college students saying, no, that's not what I signed up for. You can imagine, I can imagine each one of you telling me, no, I don't, Pastor. I don't want problems. And I get it. We don't, like, go out looking for them. That would make us weird. Okay? But we know God uses them if we'll let him transform us. Next one. The people whose death enabled me to change for the better are the very people with whom I would most like to share these changes. His mom, his wife, his daughter. Their death has forced me to grow. I wish now that they could benefit from the growth that has resulted from their death. Does that make sense? I've changed. I've grown. I wish I could share it with those that I love most dearly. It's through them and what happened to them that I'm now changed. I want to share it with them, but I can't. Now, if you and I just focus on what I can't do, what what you cannot do, won't that just make your life horrible? If all you do is focus on what you no longer can do, life oftentimes isn't, well, you'll see what he writes at the very end in just a minute. Next one. Many people are destroyed by loss because learning what they could have been but failed to be, they choose to wallow in guilt and regret to become bitter in spirit or to fall into despair. I can do that in a matter of a couple hours. How about you? Can you get yourself from a God is blessing me to I feel like life's not worth living pretty quickly? Ain't it crazy? Because I wonder how many times instead of saying, man, I missed that opportunity opportunity to be what I could be, huh, I want to walk with God, abiding and repenting. I should repent, go back to Jesus, and live in the joy that I have in Jesus. Remember, Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. indeed. Hallelujah. And so that matters in our lives, right? Yes. Or we can just live in regret. Every one of us hasn't lived up to God's perfect standards. There's nobody here who has. And if all we do is wallow in that We can fall into bitterness and despair. Next one. Well, nothing they can do will reverse the loss. I can't undo my sins. I can't undo the fact that my mom is dead. I can't undo that I've missed some opportunities. Just can't. It is not true that there is nothing they can do to change. In order to change, I have to renew my mind. I can't just keep focusing on what I did, what I was, what I had. I need to look forward. I need to look back, a little further back, right? 2,000 years ago to see Jesus on the cross. I need to look to present and forward and not only wallow in what's gone. Next one. The difference between despair and hope, bitterness and forgiveness, hatred and love, and stagnation and vitality lies in the decisions we make about what to do in the face of regrets over an unchangeable and painful past. What are we going to do? I just want to bring you right back to that First Peter chapter 2, okay? In the middle of unjust suffering, in the middle of what this man went through, in the middle of what Jesus, if you want to think about the most unjust suffering ever, It's Jesus hanging on the cross. He's suffering for all of your sins, the ones you've already committed, the ones you are going to commit one day. And not only for you, but for the whole world. 
of all time and all place. That's the ultimate suffering. And you know what the scripture says? You know what it says in 1 Peter 2? It says that he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Who is that? God the Father, right? God the Father. Will I do that? What decision will I make now to change the course of where I'll go this afternoon? Because I can't change what I already did. But I can entrust myself to the one who judges justly now. And now. And now. Next slide. We cannot change the situation, but we can allow the situation to change us. I can allow my failure to, it's, uh, again, what I do all the time is I focus on my failure. I focus on what I've lost. I focus on me and what's happening in my life. If I reframed it, I could focus on God's faithfulness, who hasn't abandoned me in the midst of my failure. I can focus on God's goodness, and he's actually going to work something good in my life through this because he's going to transform me by the renewing of my mind as I lose myself and focus on Jesus because it's not about how great I act. It's about how great he is for me. Next one. We exacerbate our suffering needlessly when we allow one loss to lead to another. Just be honest. There's only a few of us here today, and everybody else is at home. You're watching yourself, so nobody's around, okay? Have you done this? Have you let one failure lead to another? Have you wallowed in what you've lost and let that lead you to something else? I mean, the whole food thing is so easy. I'm on a diet. I had some ice cream I shouldn't have had. Well, shoot, I'll just eat the whole container. Right? Isn't that what we do? And it leads to the destruction of the soul. Because we get caught in a loop where I'm so bad now, God couldn't possibly accept me. Because, you know, based on last week's message, I'm my own savior, right? I have to fix it. And because I failed, that means I'm a horrible, lousy savior and I have to keep working to fix it. Huh. Where's Jesus? Oh, he's still present. He's with us. He matters. Jesus Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. So, if we think on this just for a minute, Romans 12. Let's go there. If we look at Romans chapter 12, you'll see this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What does that look like? Well, the disciples in Acts chapter 5, they are arrested, they're put in prison, they are persecuted, and then um, after a little bit... Verse 41 of Acts 5 says this, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They had been persecuted by the religious leaders of the day. They had gone through suffering. And what did they do? They rejoiced. These people are crazy. Aren't they? 
And we also then can join with them to rejoice in our suffering because we know God is faithful. He is working. He transforms us so we may live well in him, even in the midst of unjust suffering. As I look around the room, I see people who have been mistreated and ill-treated in the workplace. You have experienced unjust suffering. I know that there's out there some of you who have done the same. You've experienced unjust suffering in your families. You've experienced unjust suffering in many ways. And what God is talking about here in Peter is experiencing unjust suffering like the disciples did for being those who proclaim the name of Jesus. Have you ever had one of those days where, where you just kind of, you feel good at the end of the day? It's like, this has been a wonderful day. I feel like I've accomplished what God has presented before me and, and done. Do you ever have those days? I have those days once in a while. It's like, nah, that, that just felt really good. That's what's going on here. There was this sense, this feeling of, that's right. That's what I was made for. That's my calling, and I fulfilled it. Even in the midst of the suffering that I had to undergo, I rejoice. Because my life's no longer about my comfort and pleasure and what I'm accomplishing. It's about following Jesus. Which is going to mean unjust suffering along the way. Now, I want you to think for just a minute, how do we continue on with this walking with Jesus in the middle of unjust suffering? How do we endure this? And Psalm 9, I think, is just... Just great. It says, Psalm 9, verse 1, says this. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonders. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. I will tell of all your wonders. And so I want to be able to start just sharing. And so I did this with uh, three ladies yesterday. And I want you to think about it, too. If you're going to just start talking to other people about the wonders of God, what kind of things would you say? And I want you to think about that for a while. You don't have to tell me today. I'll, get, I'll leave you off the hook today, okay? But I want you to think, what would you start sharing about the wonders of God? What great things has God done? Of course, you can think of the resurrection. You can think of changing the lives of the disciples. You can think of the miracles that Jesus did, setting people free, giving life to the dead, all these awesome things that God has done. Now, why do I bring that to you is, is thinking of, when we think of enduring suffering. Well, if you go back and you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, it says this. For this is a gracious thing, verse 19 says, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And it goes on to say this, but if when you do good and suffer for it and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Well, this is a gracious thing. What? What is this? What? It happens when we are mindful of God. A mind full of God. A mind full of God. So when I'm rejoicing in Him, now, how many of you have had a mind full of yourself? of Netflix, of other things that I probably can't mention in church, wrongful thoughts, fantasies. I, you ever have those fantasies of getting back at somebody? 
Nobody's raising their hand, but I see a lot of smiles out there. So I wonder if those are the things that fill our minds instead of what God has done for us in Jesus. Do you think that if we are focused on what he has done, and if you think just for a moment, we can go back to Psalm 22. We can go back to Isaiah 53. And we think of what God has done for us in Jesus. And we can be overwhelmed because by his wounds, we are healed. You see, Jesus in this text shows himself as our example, right? But he can't simply be our example without first being our Savior. How is it that we can endure suffering? Well, I don't know about you, but I think even after today and hearing this message, and you all seem to be walking with me today, I still think you're going to fail. I just have a sneaky suspicion. Now, you can call me later this week and tell me, so far, so good, Pastor. Haven't failed once. Okay? That might be true. But when unjust suffering comes, I think the first thing we need to go back to is the one who suffered in our place for us. And remember that when we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And then I want you to remember that you are called. Unless you think it's just really easy, I've got to read to you what Romans 12 says. So we, you heard the first part of Romans 12. But I want to read the last part of Romans 12. It says this in verse 17 and following. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's your calling. With that calling, I have one little bit of, of uh, one little word for you. It's actually three words. Walk with Jesus. Right? Because that whole idea of doing those things, of enduring suffering, all of that, that's your calling. That's what God says. Be this. He doesn't say, oh, just try. Do your best. Hope you do well. That'll be good enough. Don't worry about it. He says, no, do this. It's your calling. And when you fail, remember to go back to Jesus. By his wounds, you are healed. And then step back up and abide with Jesus again. Amen.